The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hey, it's Jesse. We're off this week as we celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. But we're bringing you one of our best episodes of the year, an episode from our archives, Conversation with Lovey Ajayi-Jones. She is fierce in this conversation. She is inspiring as she talks us through how to fight fear. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. It's our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. And today we are talking about fear. Those early days of the pandemic, they they gave us time to think, to get clear about which dreams we'd been too busy or too afraid to pursue. This year on Hello Monday, we're focusing on how we go after those dreams. It's all part of what it means to reinvent ourselves. And a big part of how we do that, it's technical. How do we build skills? Where do we look for opportunities? But another aspect of reinvention one that we talk about a lot less. It's managing our emotions. Pursuing goals and dreams can be downright terrifying. Some of us start with fear. We operate out of it daily. If I'm honest, I know this is true for me. We're going to have to learn how to work with that fear if we want to change. Today's guest, Lovey Ajayi-Jones, is the perfect person to help us figure out how to do this. Lovey is the author of Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual. I first heard her at TED a few years ago, she was great. Her talk was energizing and thoughtful, so much so that it went viral and catapulted her career as a culture critic and activist. In her book, she has three framing mechanisms for taking on fear. She advises us on how to know ourselves deeply, how to use our voice with authority, and how to take meaningful action. One of her first pieces of advice is to be too much. Here's Lovey. I think one of the things we struggle with the most is how we're perceived in the world. What people are thinking about us. Do Are we likable? A lot of us are people pleasers just because the world that we live in, it really prioritizes likability over anything else. So one of the things that we're most afraid of is that somebody will say we're too much. We're too burdensome. We're too loud. We're too quiet. We're too whatever it is. And I want to give us permission to be too much, whatever that thing is. Because instead of us being afraid of being too much, when you embrace it, you realize that the thing that somebody's probably accusing you of being too much of is probably your superpower. So, for example, a lot of us were told, you talk too much when you were little. Yeah, that was me. Right? Team, talk too much, reporting for duty. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And now I make a great living as a speaker, as somebody who's using her words to impact people. Imagine if I heard you talk too much and I got quiet. Imagine if I stopped it from if if I use it to stop me from using my words to really speak the truth. Imagine if I thought my job in this world is to shape shift that permission to talk too much gave me all I needed to be this grown up who now is able to do what she does. Uh, that idea of likability, it, it yeah. really irks me, Levy, because it also yeah. drives me, right? I, yes. As much as I don't want to, I do aspire to be likable. And we, yes. also have, we also have research that suggests that women excel in the workplace according to how likable they are. 
Correct. You know, men excel according to how much authority they possess. Yes. Women according to how much they are liked. What do we do about it? And and what does it mean to be too much if being too much is potentially going to work against us? So first, I want us to get real practical and logical about likability. It's not a science. It's an art. It means that it's super subjective. There's no one way to be likable because two people can do the exact same thing. One person might do it well and somebody else might hate the other person, right? So off jump, it lets me know that likability and people pleasing is a futile mission. Anything that is not formulaic, that is not set in stone, that is not affected by biases, you can't chase it. It is a futile mission. So for example, if you're like, I'm going to be more agreeable. You're going to meet somebody who goes, oh gosh, she's too agreeable. She's a doormat, right? So constantly chasing other people's whims for us, what other people might consider likable is a waste of our time because we might still fail at that mission of being likable, depending on who we are, what rooms we're in. Sometimes the color of our skin affects how likable we are. You know, I mean, there's so many different things that people come into every room with, so much baggage that changes some of these criteria. So I'm always like, that's exhausting. To constantly chase something that I can't even nail down is exhausting. So why do it? Why do it? What is the point? It's easier to just show up as whoever you are and then just hope for the best. I've been trying to unlearn people pleasing my whole life. It doesn't mean I'm like, I don't care if people like me. It doesn't mean I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do something to just make you hate me. No. It means instead of forcing myself to try to fit into whatever box I might think likability is, I disregard that box. And I'm just like, I'm just going to be this girl. And whoever likes me, likes me. Whoever doesn't, not my people. And I'm going to move forward in that way. So being too much of it all is just saying, listen, it's the insistence that the more you double down on who you are, on your too muchness, the quicker you will find the people who you are actually like-minded with and who you actually fit based on value, background, whatever you consider important. And the sooner you stop chasing the people you're actually supposed to repel, they're not your people. That piece is so critical. Mm -hmm. I love that idea, this idea that you just, you be completely yourself. Yeah. And the, the people who are drawn to that are the people that naturally you should be working with, thinking with, Correct. living your life with, right? Correct. Well, which brings us to this idea of trusting where you are. Yeah. What do you mean by that? You know, there's a lot of chaos in the world. Um, there's a lot of reasons to doubt what's happening around us, some of the rooms that we are in. And I think our challenge is to question those the rooms less. I turned that TED Talk down twice before I finally said yes, because I didn't think I was ready. Because I was like, hmm, how dare I exist in that room of powerhouses? and take the stage. Wait, wait, Lovey. Can we just make sure that I'm understanding that? So they came to you and asked you twice, and you said no twice, not because you didn't what they want what they had to offer, but because you thought you didn't deserve what they had yes. to offer. Yes. I kept on coming up with excuses of why I couldn't do it. And I was about to turn it down the third time. Three weeks before TED, I actually was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to come to TED just to cheer on my friends. And when I told Pat Mitchell that she was like, if you're going to come, I want you to take the stage. And I was about to turn it down when I called one of my friends and I said, listen, this is wild, crazy. 
they want me to take the stage three weeks before. I have to come up with a brand new talk. Everybody else has already had a coach. They've already rehearsed their talk 15,000 times. And here I am. I'm going to, I'm about to turn it down again. And my friend said, you're talking about what everybody else has done, but everybody's not you. She's like, you've been on the stage every two days. You've been speaking professionally for how many years? You have your practice. You're ready for this. So get off my phone and go write this talk. That trust that she infused in me in that moment was trust I didn't have for myself, was the trust that I didn't have for the work that I'd already done. And uh, But she gave me no other choice but to say yes. And that yes transformed my life and my career and had such a impact on my trajectory. So the very idea of trusting where we are, it's, un- it's untrusting imposter syndrome. It's like, I think for women, people have attached diminishing our worth to our likability. People are very comfortable with women who question themselves who say, I don't know, should we do that? Because a woman who says, no, 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 I know I'm amazing, becomes called assertive, which then becomes called aggressive, which then becomes called, she's not likable. So unlearning those moments of our journey is key and trusting who we are, where we are, and trusting the fact that we know what we know. We are ready for that thing. We are not too small to be in that room with those giants. We belong there. In my career, I started my career as a business reporter. Here's what I knew about business. Nothing. But I got hired at Business Week magazine and I sat next to a a guy who had my job and he had also trained to be a business reporter, except that here's what he knew about business. A lot. Mm. And he would pitch stories over and over again about the auto industry. And every week he'd get in the magazine and I would watch him and try to pitch stories about the auto industry. But you know what? Here's what I knew about cars. Nothing, because I didn't care about cars at all. And I remember talking to a mentor and just saying, I just am so bad at this. I don't care about cars. I don't know about business. And she said, if they wanted you to care about cars or business, they would have hired another person who looks exactly like the person who sits next to you. They hired you, so figure out what you have to say. And as soon as I just started thinking about what I cared about, I got in the magazine every week. Wow. And I feel like that's kind of the lesson you're talking about there. Yeah. I mean, we spend so much time doubting basic things about ourselves. Facts. We'll spend so much time doubting facts. Yeah. Right? Or or saying, you know what, I'm not going to tout it because that might be me bragging. At this point, I'm like, if the worst thing you can say about me is that I'm arrogant, then I'm doing well. (laughs) If the biggest flaw that you think I have is that I am arrogant, I am doing pretty well. And if arrogance means I know what I know, if arrogance means I am telling you how good I am, if arrogance means I'm advocating for myself, I'll be arrogant. It's not a bad thing at that point. Which brings me into the say portion of your book. And here's what I want to touch on next. You say, ask for more. And Mm. man, I look around at, in particular, the women around me, and I think it, ask for more. And yet I don't always do it myself. So explain a little bit what you mean there. Oh, man. I, I always talk about how my career is a testament of me asking for what I need from the people around me when I need it, whether it's opportunities, whether it's me saying, hey, I need your help. How do I get in contact with this person? Asking for more just looks like asking for more of the people around you, of the world, of anybody and everything. 
Yeah. It's a habit that you form that's, that has to be intentional because we've been taught that we got to be team. I got this. I do it myself. But what happens if you start asking for more of other people? You won't have to do so much yourself. Yeah. And you know, the scariest thing is that they can say no. And it turns out once you've heard no once or twice, it's not that scary. A no won't kill you. Okay. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about money. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. My guest today is Lovey Jones. She's written a book on fighting fear. And one of her golden rules is to ask people for more. More of everything. But what I wanted to know is how do we talk about money? So asking for more especially extends to getting your money. So what's interesting is when we get used to asking for more in the rest of our lives, whether from our partners, from our friends, from family, from ourselves, then we have to practically apply it to asking for money when it's time to negotiate your salary. I did not find out that I was supposed to negotiate my salary until I was probably, or just negotiate in general salary, whatever it is, fees, probably until like, 10 years ago, and I'm 37. Nobody ever told me that I'm supposed to ask for more money, that the first offer is never the best offer. And even that is a revolution, right? Because, you know, I think it's a form of economic justice for women to know that not only is it expected of you to ask for more money, when you do it, you make your life better and somebody else's life better because you normalize people understanding that we can be expensive and we're worth every dime. Well, how do you do it? I mean, let's get really practical here. I'm having that yeah. like ability thing going on in my head. I'm like, okay, I totally get it. And I would tell other people to ask for more money. But like, if it's me, I don't want them to not like me for that. So how do you do it? One, you take the personal out of it. It is not a personal choice for you to ask for more money. It is a business decision that if you don't do it, you're not doing business well. So if you're somebody who wants to be a savvy business person, take the emotion out of it and say, this is just part of the business. I'm supposed to ask for more money. So when somebody drops a number at you, the other thing is you don't ever have to give a quick answer. You don't have to say yes or no immediately. You're 
when they say, okay, we're going to pay you $4,000, you don't have to make a split second decision of yes or no. You can say, okay, let me think about that. And I'll get back to you. Buy yourself some time. Yep. Great idea. Go away. Buy yourself some time, go away and then figure out how much you actually want. Now with that, you either have to send a counter offer in written form, which if you don't like the back and forth, verbal back and forth, it's a good way to do it. Yep. Um, but if for some reason you do have to do it verbally, you have to practice this if you're uncomfortable about it. Because you want to drop a number with an exclamation point and not a question mark. So if they say, hey, we'd like to give you $4,000, your response after you buy yourself some time and you have the follow-up phone call can be, okay, so the fee that I'm looking for is and you just drop that number. So let's say you say, actually the fee I'm looking for is $7,000. Stop talking. <laughs> Don't run into a, and that's because, uh, and, then, and then this other thing, and then the reason why I think I'm worth this is that, no, no, no. Just give them the number because they've already offered you this job. They already know you're valuable. They already know you're the person they want, right? So you don't have to justify yourself anymore. Just drop the number and shut up. Sit there in silence. Isn't silence powerful that way, Lovey? Silence is a major tool. And I was reading something recently that said that in negotiation, the person who can stand silence more wins. The person who does not feel like interrupting the awkward silence with either taking it back, justifying themselves extra, or arguing against this thing wins. So just say, I would, my fee is 7000 and you sit there and if you have to sit in a staring contest for a hot second, you'll do it, but you'll be okay. And then <laughs> they have to respond with their offer. And usually they'll either buy themselves some more time or they'll give you another number. So when you do it with the question mark, it sounds like this. Hey, yeah, we want to pay you 4000 And then you go, well, 7000 Even you don't even sound sure. I'd be like, oh, I definitely know you're not sure. So I'm not going to give you that at all. Say it with an exclamation point and shut up. Another thing that I, I often do, I'm curious what you think about it, is I, I'm so scared of the numbers themselves. It's like I, they're, my mouth is allergic to saying them. So I go with the percentage because it sounds less scary. So, oh, your fee is 4000 I would need about 75% more than that in order to feel comfortable taking this job. And it gets me, it's like a little loophole thing. What do you think about that? Yay or nay? I'm only getting a half nod from you. Nay, because now I have to do the math of what 75% more than 4,000 is. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Now I'm like, okay, what's 75% of 4,000? Uh, instead of me being to give you a quick answer of yes, no, now I got to do the math. And I'm like, all right. Uh, what no? And I might, even, I might even follow up and say, okay, so what's that number? So if I follow up with, okay, give me that number, you still have to say the number. How fair. I'm trying to I'm trying to work around my fears and you're just pushing me right into the middle of my fears over Listen, and over. Do it. Because here's the thing is the number is not the what's scary because you know that you will earn that number. You're not afraid of not earning the number. You're afraid of the other person hearing the number and rejecting you. Yeah. And they won't. Here's the thing is when people find the right person that they want for something, having to go back and find a plan B is expensive, it takes more time, and it's labor intensive. Once I give you an offer, once anybody gives you an offer, they don't wanna have to go find plan B. They want plan A. So think about it in that way, in that you are plan A. 
Nobody wants to go find plan B because it's going to take more time. It's going to take more money. So me as plan A, my power here is that I have that leverage that I know I am plan A. Okay. I got two more that I really want to talk about with you, Levy. Okay. Um, the first is this idea of firing yourself. Talk to me about that. One of my biggest fears is people dropping the ball on my behalf. I trust myself more than anybody. I know if I have, if I'm holding the ball, it's less likely to drop. So then I hold the ball tight. Meanwhile, there's three other balls I'm supposed to be holding. And I'm like, okay, I'm holding these tight too. I mean, some of it is kind of loose. <laughs> but I'm afraid to hand one over because I'm afraid this one person is going to drop my ball. So I hold on to everything and I'm panicked. All the time. We all do that in different parts of our lives, whether it's home, whether it's work, whether it's with friends. Because again, we trust ourselves more. It is time to fire yourself. You've seen that meme of like, Beyonce has the same 24 hours in a day as you. No, she does not. Beyonce has like 180 hours in her day. You have 24 hours because she has a team of people who she's allowed to buy time back with. You being the solo thing, doing it all yourself, you don't have the same hours. You can't do the same thing. You can't scale your time yourself. You have to clone yourself by hiring other people. And that's what, practically speaking, we have to do it. We have to do it. Whether it's you're the overworked mom who's like, oh, I have to make dinner. Even as you say that, the thing I'm thinking about is the mountain of laundry at my house and how my wife is absolutely convinced that nobody else can fold a shirt as well as she can fold a shirt. And therefore, she has to do all of the laundry. And I'm constantly like, Joe, please, it does not matter how well that shirt is folded. Let go of that ball. My life changed three years ago when I started sending my laundry out. I send my laundry out, me and my husband's laundry, every two weeks. And here's how much I know. I, I want people to understand how much we all do. None of us have real perspective on how much we accomplish every single day, every week, every month. Our lives are major project management nightmares and sometimes dreams, right? So for laundry, I'll give you an example. It's just me and my husband. We wear one outfit a day. Sometimes he'll wear two because he's having to work out, he'll change. When we send out our laundry and they send us back the report of how much we gave them, 75 pounds of clothes. <laughs> so imagine you, somebody who's listening right now, you probably have a family of four, you might have a family of three, and you're like, laundry, laundry. You're probably doing 100 pounds of laundry every couple of weeks. Just so you know how much you're accomplishing that you think it's just foregone conclusion, basic. No, that's actually major. So then you're spending three hours folding laundry while also now having to make sure bills are paid, while also being a well-employed person, while also being a partner, while also being a daughter. And then you're wondering, you're like, why am I tired? Fire yourself from something. <laughs> Send out the laundry because you don't have to be the one folding. Have somebody meal prepping for you, maybe. Have a housekeeper come once a month who like for once, like your house can look like, oh my God, a tornado did not run through it. Mine comes on Saturday. I'm excited to see her. <laughs> so I think it's just important that we don't, one, we, we, we are really hard on ourselves. I'm sure your wife is sitting there feeling guilty. Like, I can't believe I still haven't done this laundry. Yes. Meanwhile, forgetting that she's had to do 15 other things today alone. So it's not your fault that you haven't done laundry. You just ran out of time. 
Okay. Yeah. You are one person trying to live this complicated and simple life. And this laundry is adding to your complications. I am going to make my wife listen to this when we get home tonight. And I've got one Please more for do. you, Lovey. Lovey, this is the most important chapter by my measure in your entire book. Build a squad. Mm, Talk yeah. to me about the squad. What do you have in mind? Mm, oh, man. I am a product of villages of people who are my soft place to land, professionally, personally. One thing you've probably seen as a theme here is my insistence that we cannot do life alone. We cannot continue being on an island by ourselves trying to figure out this floating rock, okay, trying to figure out... All all this, all of this madness and chaos and beauty. We need people who will challenge us, hold us accountable, cheer us on, serve as our charging stations. And I think we've got to spend more time being intentional, building squads of people who will serve as almost like a, a blanket in this world. Multiple squads do multiple things. You know, everybody's not supposed to do everything for you, but you should have the friends who you can party with, go on vacation with, have a good time with. You should have the friends who you might have met at work, who will make sure you know the next conference to go to, who will speak your name up in rooms for opportunities. You should have the true blues, the ones you go and cry to in the middle of crisis, the ones who you tell your dreams to first, who go, you got this. You should have mentors who are like, my job is to open up doors for you because I believe that much in you. Lovey. You say this thing about human relationships that I really like, and I'm remembering it from reading it. I don't have it open in my in my lap. And so pardon me if I butcher it, but take it and explain it. You know, I think sometimes, particularly um, when it comes to our professional relationships, um, we get kind of transactional about it. And yeah. that takes the the sort of the the magic and the loveliness and ultimately the utility uh, away from a relationship when actually a friendship, a mentorship, it has a different rhythm or a different way of operating. And maybe a better framework for how to think about it is step up according to your ability, what you have to offer, when you have it to offer. Yeah. It's not saying that you have to always give some somebody something to be worthy of their time, but it's finding ways to be, to reciprocate that person's presence in your life. It might mean Sometimes you send a care package to somebody who you just met and you you were like, I think I just want to send you my favorite product so you can, you know, do self-care Sunday. It means sometimes having nothing to ask for just to say, hey, let's just meet, just talk, you know, catch up what you've been up to. And in that conversation, you'll find something to hold on to. It means being intentional about deepening relationships. It's not saying everybody's your friend. But it means that you become somebody who people know. I know what they want. I know their dreams. I know what their core values are. And I respect it. And here's where there's synergy in our lives. I do it. I try. I try to do a, a good job of staying connected with contacts, sending out random text messages, being like, hey, I know we haven't spoken in a few months. I hope you're doing well. You know, I'm cheering you on on social media. And social media has actually made it easier for us to stay connected with people because you get to see what they're up to. You get to like and comment and say, I'm yes, congrats on that. That's a great shortcut that 10 years ago didn't exist, right? So now you're actually able to build more and more relationships in less time. So, you know, we've, we've kind of hit the end of our time together, speaking of time. 
And I'm just curious, we've we've covered a lot of ground. You got a message for us as we move into 2022, and I'll tell you our theme for the year, it's reinvention, because I think we're all doing it. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of had to do it for the last two years, not of our choice. The pandemic basically said, you got to rethink everything. But yes. this is the year we get to choose reinvention. Yes. So do you have a message for us? Yes. My message is that, especially in the process of reinvention, reinvention means you're basically starting and pivoting into a space that you might not be comfortable with yet. And that's fine. That's actually great because you should be reinventing yourself. You should be pushing yourself past your comfort zone more and more. And it's going to be scary. You know, I want us to actually at this point get, I don't even want to quote myself because that's weird, but I I want us to, (laughs) I do want us to be comfortable with the fact that we're going to be uncomfortable and understanding that there is no courage in the absence of fear. This moment and beyond is probably going to be asking of you to be brave, which means you're going to be afraid at certain points. You're going to have to make the choice to be brave. So when you feel that fear, don't think it means like, stop, run away, go back. No, it actually means this is a growth opportunity. This is the point of reinvention. This is how you pivot. Because now you're no longer in the box you were sitting in before. So I'm just hoping people understand that like that fear is absolutely necessary for courage to show up. Because if it was easy, then it wasn't courageous. That was Lovey Ajayi-Jones. You can find her book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual, anywhere books are sold. Look, fear can be just downright debilitating. We can be afraid to disappoint people, afraid not to be liked, afraid to just be wrong or make mistakes. But it's holding us back because I truly believe something amazing awaits all of us on the other side of fear. If we're looking for change, if we're looking to reinvent ourselves, we have to fight that fear. And this may sound hokey, but it's something I truly believe. We are all, all of us listening to the show right now, we're all worthy of living into the dreams we have on the other side of fear. So this week on Office Hours, let's talk about some goals and dreams we have and get practical about the steps we can take toward achieving them. And if you start to have feelings of fear or self-doubt, write them down. Come share them with us. We are a community here at Hello Monday that will try our best to help you fight that fear and to support you. We'll go live from the LinkedIn news page Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, as usual. And as always, if you like the show, please rate and review us. It helps us so much. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Taisha Henry. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor are not afraid, or at least they front like it. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We're back next Monday. Thanks for listening. Lovey, have you become more active on LinkedIn recently? Because I used to follow you on Instagram and feel like I followed your game on Instagram, but now you're like, you're all over it. I'm also, I'm a LinkedIn influencer now. So maybe you see my posts more. Well, I think LinkedIn is a great place for you to be talking about exactly this, because I think that what you're talking about is pretty profound to helping women in particular succeed in business. Yeah. And women need to succeed in business, not so they'll be successful in business, but because that is the seat and heart of power in our capitalist society, whether we like it or not. And women need to own that. It is economic justice. Yeah. So for women who are like, oh my God, I'm shy. Think about the fact that you being bold, you being authentic, you asking for money 
is a form of economic justice. It's a form of activism and philanthropy. So take the emotions out of it and just accept the fact that by you doing those things and advocating for yourself, you are actually engaging in philanthropy and activism.